Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Well, as you see on the screen, we're going to be in two parts, uh, John 14 and John 1. So if you can mark your Bible to both of those spots, we're going to start out in John 14. I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, we have some folks who are interested in becoming members of our church. We're going to have a new members club, a, a preparatory class for new members coming up soon. And uh, so if you're interested in that, please let me know. And uh, it's, it's cool that we can gather together. And, you know, not every church is the same. We can do some things differently. We do things differently now than we did 20 years ago. But we're following the same pattern that was laid out in Scripture, where we're focusing on God's Word, and we're learning from God's Word, and we're ministering to one another. And so as we gather here, remember, this is not just we're going to victory for this Sunday. This is God's work in our world as we carry that on in His name. And so... It's a rich blessing that God gives us this opportunity. So before we read the scripture, let's look to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We come before you today with joy because Jesus came and we're celebrating that this season. We come before you today with joy because it's Sunday and we celebrate the risen Savior. We come before you with joy because we're an assembly of believers and you are working in our midst. We come to you with expectation that we will learn from your word, that your Holy Spirit will speak into each heart, that we will listen, we will learn, we will be drawn closer to you, and we praise you and thank you. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. As we're looking in John 14 and John 1, we're going to be going back and forth a little bit. Uh, but uh, we're going to see how the coming of Christ is the fulfillment of what God was doing up to that point in history. That's why history was divided to before Christ and after Christ, and they've now changed it to before the common era and the common era. Uh, but it was divided based on looking forward to the coming Christ and then looking back on the Christ who came. And so we're gonna be in John 14, and we're gonna start actually in verse number four, where Jesus, this is the middle of a dialogue, but I wanna jump in right here, and Jesus said, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
See, we know the way because we've heard it many times before. Sometimes when you come to the Christmas story, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, we looked at that last year and the year before and the year before. And for some of you, that's like, like you've been thinking about Christmas for like 80 years, right? Uh, for some of us, it hasn't been quite that long. And for some of you, you can't imagine being that old. Uh, but you know what? It, we have to look at it with, with wonder of those who were going through it the first time, those who had never experienced it. When John wrote this letter, nobody had this stuff. I grew up reading the Gospel of John. It's one of the first Bible books that I was challenged to read. My pastor said, read the Gospel of John, and I did. And um, some of us have read through the Gospel of John 30, 40 times in our lifetime, and some even more than that. But this was new stuff. John was writing and people had not heard this before. And so when Jesus is speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you and I are looking back historically and saying, oh yeah, he's the way, the truth, and the life. But those guys are sitting there, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And it was new to them. It was something that hadn't been put together that way yet. So we know it, we've heard it repeatedly, Jesus was going to go up to heaven to be with the Father, and we have to trust and believe in Him, and ask Him to be our Savior, and then we can follow Him up to heaven and be with Him. In verse 6, He said, I am the way. Now many people think Christians are arrogant because we say there's only one way of salvation. I remember playing volleyball when, back in the day when there was an LA Fitness in town and they had volleyball and I would go uh, as many times as I could on Tuesday night to play volleyball there for several hours. And there was a guy there who was Muslim and somebody would sometimes during the game, this one girl kept saying, oh my, and then plunking God's name in there, which is an inappropriate use of God's name. But that's what she would do. And the guy would say, uh, there's only one God. And I said, yes. And in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he didn't like that. He, he thought there's one God and everybody just kind of adapts to him their own way. Uh, but uh, I, I like the way Bruce Barton, I don't know who he is, but he phrased this. Christians did not invent the claim that Jesus is the only way of salvation. No ancient committee decided that Jesus was uniquely qualified for that, nor that it would be a distinctive teaching of Christianity. Jesus himself introduced this idea. Mm -hmm. I am the way. Uh, back uh, almost a decade ago, in April 2015, a popular rabbi wrote this. He said, heaven has an open door policy. Heaven is not a gated community. The righteous of any people and any faith will have a place in it. Our actions, not our specific beliefs, determine our faith. Again, I'm quoting somebody else here, okay? So don't throw tomatoes or anything. It seems ironic that he described heaven as not being a gated community when Jesus himself said that the way to heaven is to go through the narrow gate. That's how Jesus described it. In Matthew 17, 13 and 14, Luke 13, 24. And Jesus said he was the only door in John 10. 
So Jesus said it that way. That rabbi was rejecting the teaching of Paul and Peter and John and Jude and Luke and Mark and Matthew and David and Isaiah and even Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. The gate is narrow and Jesus is the only way. I am the way. I am the way, the truth. Many so-called spiritual leaders, from cult leaders Jim Jones to, and David Koresh to religious leaders like Buddha and uh, Muhammad and Joseph Smith, they all have told their followers that they alone had the way of truth because they had achieved enlightenment. And the only hope was for people to follow them. But Jesus had three distinctions, more than that, but three we'll think about this morning. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the scriptures prophesied specific miracles the Messiah would do. Jesus did those miracles, fulfilling the scripture and also fulfilling dozens of other prophecies about the Messiah, including where he would be born, when he would be born, what he would say, how he would behave, and even how he would die. All of that was included in the scriptures, in the prophecies, and Jesus fulfilled them. He didn't just say, follow me. He followed the revealed word of God that had been revealed up to that point, And then he healed and raised the dead, and he fulfilled the scripture in minute detail. Specific prophecies he fulfilled. He is the way. He is the truth. Now, not only that, but he gave his life as a horrific sacrifice to save us. What happens in the cults is they, the leaders want you to be willing to die for them. But Jesus died for his followers. He gave his life for them and us. And only Jesus came back from the dead. I remember when I got a job in Texas when I first moved to Texas back in 83. And um, I got a job working in a hotel. And uh, they changed my lunch hour. And they sent me to lunch with... Their, their, normally there were 40, 50 people in the cafeteria eating lunch. But they restructured my work day. And I had to cover somebody else's shift for a while. And then by the time I got to lunch, there were only two people in there. Me and this one other lady. And so, of course, we sat together and started talking. And she was raised Buddhist. And, and we were talking about the similarities between Christianity and Buddhism. Because there are some about being kind, showing kindness to people, appreciating life. And, and there, there are some similarities among different faith traditions. But I said, you know, there's one big, huge difference between Christianity and, and, and Buddhism. She said, what's that? And I said, Buddha's still dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And I shared with her some scriptures. Well, she got interested. She came to my church and visited church and sat with Kathy and I in church. And then she got saved. And then she got baptized. And then I got fired. <laughs> it was like God put me there just for her to reach her, reassign the lunch hour. They actually had layoffs and they laid off several people. I was one of the newbies, so I was one of the first laid off. Uh, but God put me there to reach her. 
The last I heard from her, she was still in that church where she got saved and baptized. And because I had shared the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And so he is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. I said we were going to flip back and forth. Take a moment to look in John 1. If you can, mark your spot to jump back and forth, or if you're on an electronic thing, just set it to where you can tab back and forward and back and forward, okay? Uh, in John 1, it says, in the beginning. Now, you've heard that phrase before. If you've read the book of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But this is the beginning before the beginning. John is writing about the beginning before God began the creation of the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's describing that time before God created the heavens and the earth, and it's, it's the time when there was only God and nothing else. And then God began to create. Now that, that messes with people's minds. How could God always be? I had an atheist friend who was telling me that. Well, how could God always be? There had to be an origin. I said, okay, what do you believe in? Well, he believed in evolution. Okay, how does evolution start? Well, there's space dust that explodes. Well, where did that come from? Well, it just was. I said, and God was. We both believe there was something I have a historical record that tells me exactly what that something was. In the beginning, God. And God created the heavens and the earth. There has to be a first thing. When I was an evolutionist and I heard this message, it blew my mind. It opened me to understand the historical accuracy of scripture that something had to exist before everything else could exist. Something had to be there. Everybody believes something was there. They just disagree on what that something was. Mm -hmm. We have the revealed truth of God's word that says that something was and is God. So there had to be a first thing and there had to be a first cause. Something that would cause things to begin, to change, to develop, to exist. There's no explanation for what evolutionists talk about, the Big Bang, there's no explanation for how that happened. They say it happened. But see, if we believe the scripture, the historical account in God's word, then you have the first thing, God, the first cause, created. And so, as somebody said, the Big Bang happened in creation, not at creation, but in creation, God said it and bang, there it was, right? There was no explosion of stuff that there was God creating the heavens and the earth. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now, does that mean that God made your iPhone? No, of course not. But it means God made all the materials that are used in the iPhone. And God made the human intellect that is used to design them. And 
God created all things. And who is the creator? The word. That's a description for Jesus. He is the living word. Jesus Christ, the word, the son of God, and God the son was the creative voice of God in the beginning when God created. When God said, let there be light, and there was light, it was the voice of Jesus. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He puts it all together. He is the life because all life was created by him. And then in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now jump down to verse 9. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them gave him the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, God purposed that Jesus would come and would live, he would step into humanity. Jesus would live among us, God with us. Turn back to John 14, please. John 14, we're going to pick up in verse number 7. Jesus is still speaking. He said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. We always want a little bit more information, don't we? We want more revelation. When, when we're pretty sure we know what God wants us to do, we want him to reveal it in a better way. Uh, we, we just want more. We're always like that. And Philip had seen enough and learned enough to extrapolate, to figure out, to understand that Jesus and the Father were one, but he wanted a little more proof. And so Jesus then said to Philip, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is saying that he and the Father are absolutely, totally connected in harmony and unity. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus said, we, we know enough to trust and follow him. Philip knew enough. Jesus didn't reveal any new stuff to him. He just opened his understanding to see what was already there. So we, we have his power that he demonstrated his miracles that he performed, his truths that he spoke and lived out before them, this is exactly what God would do 
when the Messiah came. And Jesus is God with us. Look at verse 14. John 14, 14. If you, oh, that's the wrong reference. How about chapter 1? John 1, 14. That's the right reference. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Isaiah 7, 14 said, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. At the beginning of the service, uh, John read Matthew 1, 22 and 3, which tells the history of when the angel of the Lord talked to Joseph about Jesus being the long-awaited Messiah. This was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated is God with us. God with us. We call this truth the incarnation. Now, I like to describe it as the incarnation with a capital I because you and I are the incarnation with a lowercase i. We're the little incarnation. We have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, and so we have God with us every day. We walk with God and he with us every day. But it was different when Jesus came because when Jesus came, it was God incarnate, God in the flesh, and not the Spirit coming upon all people, but one person. See, some people teach that the incarnation was God's Spirit coming upon a man named Jesus. That's not what it was at all. It was God himself stepping into his creation. The incarnation, all capital letters. The incarnation, God becoming part of his creation to show us the way back to the Father. Now, the eternal word then became the living word. Jesus, the living word of God. As John uh, 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe that I have celebrated Christmas in 19 different cities in 10 different states. Now, Dad was in the Air Force. We moved a lot. Plus, we had family. We'd go travel to see him. I remember one Christmas, we spent Christmas Eve and early Christmas morning at one grandparent's house in one state and then took off in the car and drove across a couple other states to get to the second grandparent's house and spent Christmas night there with the second grandparent. And uh, in fact, uh, I could tell you a story of that, but I won't bother. But they do things differently in different parts of the country. You know, I'm sure they don't still do it now, but back in the day when we lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, in Santa Fe, which is the state capital of New Mexico, uh, and it's a beautiful old town. It's, it's a beautiful area. It's, it's even today, we went, I don't know, a few years ago, and still beautiful. But at Christmas time back then, they would make candelabras 
not Candelarius. Yeah. And, and it's a little uh, candle in a brown paper sack. There's, there's sand in the bottom of the sack to hold it up so the wind won't blow it over. And ideally, the wind doesn't blow the top enough to catch the bag on fire. But back then, they would put these flaming bags all over Santa Fe. They'd put it on the roofs of the buildings and on the sides of the walkways. I'm sure now they have to use electric lights to protect the environment and to protect kids from getting burned and that sort of thing. But back then, it was real flames, and it was just spectacularly beautiful. And my mom loved to go there all the time. And so sometimes it would just be mom and I in the car. Quite often, mom and my sister and I, dad went once every year. But mom would drive down there several times during the year. And often Denise and I would go with her. And, and it was a beautiful thing to see. Now, I bet if you went over to City Hall in Casa Grande and started putting flaming bags around on the grass, you'd get arrested. <laughs> but... Back then in Santa Fe, that's how they celebrated the Christmas season. And so sometimes people do things differently at Christmas. But everywhere there are Christmas traditions and they tend to center around three things. And okay, none of these things are necessarily bad, but they should not be the focus of Christmas for Christians. Okay? Sometimes it's called the, the Christmas Spirit. You got to just appreciate the Christmas spirit. Uh, that you're supposed to be happier, healthier, and more satisfied with life because it's Christmas time and it's all going to work out. Just believe and celebrate the Christmas spirit. You'll get a better job, find true love, begin to truly appreciate you have what you have because it's Christmas. <laughs> I remember Jim Reeves and I had to run an errand. I don't remember what store we went into. And it was like the second week of December. And Jim and I went into the store. And Jim said, you know, I could appreciate Christmas a whole lot better if they didn't play this stupid music so loud all month long. <laughs> the same sappy, dorky songs over and over and over. You know, Christmas is the most wonderful, magical time of year. We don't celebrate the Christmas spirit. The second focus is on family. Now, please understand, I love my family. I, I almost put a picture of us up here. Uh, we got the whole family together, and we got a picture of us, and, and it's a pretty big group now. And the day after Thanksgiving, we were able to work it out on our calendars where even our kids from out of the state were able to be here, and we could all be together and it was a special day. Uh, but family is important, but Jesus himself said that our spiritual family is just as important as our other, our biological or our foster or adopted family. In fact, Jesus emphasized the spiritual family more than the physical family. They were talking to him about, hey, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside. And Jesus said, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? Who's my sisters? Those who do the will of my father are. Jesus was emphasizing the spiritual connection. And, and in reality, 
I mean, I love my family. I love my wife and my kids, and I love my parents. I even love my siblings. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when we get to heaven, what we're going to celebrate the most for the most of our eternal life is our spiritual connection with people. And so the ideal world on earth is where family in biology or fostering or adopting, but then we're also family in the Lord. And that makes that connection even better, even stronger. It's okay to travel for Christmas to go see family, but don't neglect your spiritual family. If you can, be in church, be there. Be connected, be engaged, be involved, be, be ministering as Benjamin uh, preached last Sunday. Uh, so don't just focus on your family, focus on his family. There's a third focus that a lot of people say about Christmas. Christmas is all about giving. It's all about giving. And if we're honest, some gifts are really great to receive and some gifts are really fun to give. Um, we spent some time giving some gifts to the kids out of state uh, because we're not going to be able to actually see them at Christmas time. And so it was fun to watch them open those gifts. Uh, but one of my favorite Christmas memories was not about a gift necessarily, but when I asked Kathy to marry me and she said yes, and that still ranks up there as my all-time favorite Christmas memory. So uh, the truth is Christmas is not just about the Christmas spirit. In fact, the way our culture talks about Christmas spirit is bogus. Mm -hmm. It's not true. Have you ever gone to a special sale on Christmas, pre-Christmas special sale? People will fight each other over the stuff. And it's not just about your family, your biological or foster or adopted family. It's not just that connection. It's not just about giving. In fact, the real theme of Christmas it's not about us giving gifts to one another, but us receiving the gift of God's Son. God sent forth His Son. Because God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. It's about our receiving Him. That's what makes Christmas Christmas. Christmas is because of Christ. So Christmas is not about some nebulous spirit or gifts or even family. Christmas is all about Jesus Christ. Amen. The Son of God who was born into humanity to show us the character, nature, and love of God. And John said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Christmas is God with us. Mm -hmm. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can't celebrate Christmas the way those who have can. You celebrate Christmas, the, what makes Christmas Christmas is you put your faith and trust in Jesus, asking him to forgive your sins and be your savior. And he said in scripture, anyone who comes to me that way, I will receive. 
You ask him to forgive your sins. You ask him to be your savior. And he will and he does. And then you celebrate Christmas because you celebrate a savior who came for you, for me. The reason we meet together on Sundays is because we serve a risen savior. He rose from the dead. And we celebrate that every single Sunday. We focus on it a little bit more on Easter, but we celebrate every single Sunday we, that we serve a risen Savior. So when Philip said, show us the Father, Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. When you connect with Jesus and you ask him to be your Savior, and you trust and follow Jesus, the Christ, you are also following God, the Father in heaven. Because the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are one, absolute harmony, absolute connectivity, the same in purpose, the same in value, the same in focus, the same in desire, and we follow Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is. God the Son on earth with us to show us the way back to God the Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love and your grace. We thank you that you came to give us life. We thank you that we can celebrate a Christmas season because we know the truth of what Christmas is all about Christ. So I pray that we would focus on that, that we would not obsess over family or giving or anything else, but that we truly would kind of obsess about Jesus, that we would think about you more, that we would follow you more closely, that we would talk about you more frequently to those who do not know Christ, so that we could share the awesome truth of your great love for them, with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.